This is Panama Today. This is Bill Wilber, your host here in Gamboa, right here in Panama, right by the Panama Canal. Music and inspiration. Glad you're with us, folks. Next 30 minutes. Hey, would you do me a favor out there in Radio Land? Would you tell somebody about this program? This is how people are finding out word of mouth. Sometimes somebody just stumbles across it. We do have an ad and a visitor magazine, newspaper. But also, um, you can tell them to go to our website, www.gamboaunion.com, and they can listen to programs. If there's a particular program that's blessed you, you can say, hey, go and listen to this particular one. That's how the word spreads. That's how you can help us, and that's how you can serve in the kingdom of God. Hello, I'm Dan Southern with the American Tract Society. What is a tract? Maybe this will help you remember. It's T, to the point, delivering an effective message about Jesus in a few words. And R, relevant, relating the good news to current issues and people's needs. It's A, attention arresting. It should grab someone's attention so they'll read it. It's also C, that is centered on the gospel, sharing salvation through Christ. And T, takes us closer to Christ, seeking a response. A tract does all this and more when used as a tool for reaching people. Find out how you can use tracts effectively when you contact the American Tract Society. The American Tract Society is committed to bringing the gospel to the world. To learn more about us, check out our web ministry. The address is www.gospelcom.net slash ATS. And as I've said so many times, the great advantage of a track is that it speaks on and on after you've left, after you've been to a person. And uh, when you go to the tool, toll booths and different places where you don't have much time, you don't really have the time, but they got the time. Many times at a smaller exit, they sit there for a long time each day and hardly have any traffic, and it gives them something to read, something to think about. You have to last. The other day I went through a place, and uh, I went to offer her something. She smiled. <laughs> it's like, oh, I have that one, last visit here. So that kind of made it kind of nice. But if you give something, and, and then after you're gone, People can read it. And also, they can't argue with it. I mean, well, they can throw it away or something, but they're not going to interrupt halfway through a sentence or something like might happen another time. And the other thing is they can uh, take it with them and think about it at another time and also share it with someone else. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and picking up with verse 14. Now, what has come before this has been the uh, description of what we call the fivefold ministry that has been given to build up the church. And it's the apostles, I'm reading from verse 11, it's the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. In chapters 1 through 3, it's the theology. It's the reason we are who we are. It's what God has done for us in Christ. 
who Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and that we are seated positionally with him. That means in the place of authority like he is today. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. There's no reason you have to put up with demonic junk coming at you or your family when in the name of Jesus you can dismiss it. A lot is being aware of where this stuff is coming from, asking the Lord for discernment, asking him to help you figure out what's going on and just pray against it. You don't have to know all the details. We can just say, you know, this stuff's not of God, all this confusion in our home, and you can just come against that type of stuff. Well, in the chapter 4, it begins to tell us in a practical way how this is worked out in the lives of people who come out of darkness into light because you can't just leave us there. You got to do something with us. We have to grow. We have to respond. We have to change in some way. And so Paul tells us there are these five offices, positions of ministry given in the church to help us grow. These are not people who do the work of the ministry for everybody. They are the ones who equip the believers to do the work of the ministry. And so when we pick up in verse 14, the reason we have people like the fivefold ministry, which I just listed, to build us up and strengthen us is so that, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Now, when it says by like infants, that word in the Greek is nopius, which means one who cannot speak even. We're talking about infant. We're not talking about a toddler. We're not talking about four or five-year-old who can speak and carry on, put sentences together. But we're talking about a, pers- a, a person who's spiritually an infinite Infant, in other words, they can't speak as a young believer incapable of communicating or giving out the gospel. Spoon feeding and don't really expect anything out of them to be passing on to anybody else. It says it's also like a ship without a rudder or a sail. Tossed to and fro is the phrase here. Back and forth by the waves. A ship without a rudder uh, is in a very bad situation because it can't stay into the headwind it can turn sideways and then it begins to roll with the size of the waves and that's not a good thing that's why uh, many times you hear about or if you're reading a story anchors as sea anchors are tall called they're not ones that hook onto the bottom but rather they um, drag in the water and the water kind of funnels through them but it's to pull the ship around pull the boat around into a direction so it's into the wind so a ship that has a uh, without a rudder or a sail is just going to just go wherever the wind takes it wherever the waves are and this word for waves here is uh, the analogy is like the circumstances of life no stability at mercy of the circumstances a lot of people who say, hey, pray for me. I'm going through such and such. Well, part of the reason they're going, or asking for so much prayer, I've not, we, we need to pray for people. I don't want to say this. But sometimes people get so desperate, it's because they haven't learned how to pray for themselves. You know, there's certain people that you would ask to pray for you. You know, you just know because it's not like they have their 
life altogether and they're not going through stuff. It's just that when they go through stuff, they seem to have a stability. They can be going through the same stuff you're going through, but seem to not be just blown all over the place. Circumstances are there, but there's still a stability in the midst of them. And if you think about it for a minute, those are the people who, you know, they're pretty uh, steady in their church attendance. They're um, people who go to Bible studies. They're people who listen to Christian music or Christian radio. They're people who pray with other people. They're people who carry their Bible or read their Bible. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you can do all those things and not respond to the Spirit of God and not be growing spiritually. But usually a person who is growing spiritually is reaching out to grow in the Lord by these different disciplines, which I've just mentioned. And the, God's Word is what is, produces the stability. We become mature and we grow in a Christ-like way. That's, that's the goal, to, to grow in a Christ-like way. Well, that doesn't mean I'm going to be as tall as he was or I'm not going to dress like he did. No, but it's the fruits of the Spirit, which are mentioned in Galatians 5, that those are going to begin to slowly but surely be seen in my life. And uh, people will say, hey, you know, he's got a joy in the midst of something. Uh, you know, he, he has a compassion on people that the ordinary person doesn't have. You begin to see the Christ-like characteristics. And there, there's something very important here in the second part of this verse 14. If you are blown around by every wind of doctrine or teaching that's coming, and it says, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, you're just, you're just vulnerable out there. If you don't have any grounding yourself, so that when uh, the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons knock on your door and is if they start to say, well, it says in the Bible, you said, oh, really? How oh, wonderful. They're quoting from the Bible. This must be OK. And uh, you don't know that they're misquoting and you don't know that they're taking things out of context and, and so on. And you say, oh, you have a respect for them because they're quoting from the Bible. But if you were into the word yourself, you'd recognize in a hurry that something is not right here because you don't hear the word of Jesus being mentioned as Savior and the one who died for our sins. And the word here that is used is the word deceit or deceitful, deceitful scheming even, cunning craftiness. This is very interesting. This word that the Bible translators um, used in the Greek when it was originally written was kubia, which is really the word cube. And this is an ancient word that was used back then, cube, for dice. Now, where did that come from? Where do you use dice? Not in playing Monopoly. That's not where they did it, learned it. But it was in gambling. They call it craps. And, uh, and in gambling, there were crafty people who would cheat in a gambling game by taking the dice, and as they say, they were loaded dice. They would weight the dice down on a certain side so it would always come up in a certain way that they wanted it to when they wanted to win. And they would exchange the dice when they uh, wanted, when it would benefit them. And the, when the dice are loaded and you're playing against the devil and it's a game of deceit, you're not going to win. You're just not going to win because you cannot tell where you're being deceived by the enemy. Isn't that interesting? 
Well, the whole idea of being de- of deceit is, and being deceived is that you're deceived and you don't know it. It's only afterwards that you find out and, and that deceitfulness, that craftiness has been exposed. How is it exposed? By someone or through the word of God that someone has brought to you, but it's the word of God, it's the truth that exposes the lie. Until you have the truth, you don't know that what you're listening to and what you're following and what you're experiencing is, is a lie. You don't, you don't know that. You have to have something that, that exposes that, and that's what the Word of God does. And when you get so you uh, have the Word of God in your heart and uh, the Holy Spirit in your spirit and soul, and you begin to sense something is just not right here. In my spirit is restless, and uh, what they're saying, they're leaving Jesus out of it. There's no mention that you can be born again. There's no assurance of eternal life. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. There's a whole bunch of works. You say something is not right here. And when you are playing in this kind of eternal game with the enemy and is deceitful and he's crafty and you're being blown around, you'll, you'll fall. That's why it's so important when a person comes to Christ as the Lord told us in Matthew 28, we not only preach the gospel and baptize people, but we need to dis- teach them and disciple them so they'll know themselves. And then, of course, once they're discipled and trained, then they can lead other people to Jesus, and then they can know how to tell them how to be discipled, and on and on it goes. And the chain of command, uh, it's an exponential thing. The Church of Jesus Christ grows and grows and grows in such great numbers. The rest of this passage is verse 15. Indeed, speaking the truth. Now, that would be the word of God. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things, notice it says all things, grow up into him, into Christ, who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, these are big words here, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Before I finish this verse, the reason I'm emphasizing whole and every and, and is because we've been learning earlier in this chapter that every person is important in the body of Christ. We are one body. We are one spirit. There's a unity that we have because there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. We are all part of the body of Christ. All. Everybody out there in Radio Land say all. <laughs> yeah. And, and every person is part of this. And the fivefold ministry, which I quoted at the beginning, which is back in verse 11, the apostles, which is like missionaries, people sent ones, prophets, people speaking forth the word of God in that situation, some to be evangelists, winning people to Jesus, some being pastors, people are helping people grow, watching out for their needs and showing compassion, and teachers teaching us the word of God and having us know how to disciple others as we are being discipled ourselves. Those, that fivefold ministry is so that everybody will be included in the body as part of it says here, every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In that one verse or two verses together, we see the word love mentioned twice. Speaking the truth in love 
and builds itself up in love. Love is the motivating factor. God so loved the world. God was the first missionary, uh, sending or mission sending base, sending Jesus. And God so loved the motivation for going, the motivation for reaching people, the whole motivation for sharing the word of God is in love. In uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Always wondered why that extra part was in there. Why don't we just say, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, it's because, when, as an example, when I first became a Christian, the day I became a Christian, I had things coming to my mind that the Holy Spirit was putting there that I had been a naughty boy, you know? There are some things, lots of things that I did that I hope my parents would never find out about. We lived in a small town, and uh, lots of people knew my parents, our family name, and uh, if they see little Billy Wilbur out riding down the sidewalks with his car or something like this, that word's going to get back to my parents. There's, there's things that your son is doing out there, you know, and I don't think you know about it. Probably you should take the car away from him or something, and especially since it was my parents' car. The, the point is, I did lots of stuff, but there was lots of things I did that wasn't coming to mind at that time. I had attitude problems of and uh, pride and selfishness and lack of compassion here and not wanting to give up money and tithing it. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of things that I was holding back. And so at that particular point, here I am coming to Jesus. These other things haven't been exposed to me yet. Jesus is saying, confess your sins. Okay, I confess my sins. Well, I couldn't think of everything. So I confess the ones I know, the ones that the Holy Spirit's showing me at that time, the ones that are so obvious. And it says, he will cleanse me from my sins and all unrighteousness. I mean, because I'm under the blood of Christ, I'm righteous in the sight of God. You are too. It's, and, and God looks at you through the blood of Jesus as if you had never sinned. And when you get to heaven, you're not going to be a, oh, there's old Wilbur over there, that old forgiven sinner over there. No, look at me just as if I never sinned because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we have the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, did Jesus ever sin? Answer is no. So if I have the righteousness of Christ, it's as if I had never sinned. That's what justification means, just as if I'd never sinned. And so when you confess your sins, he sees you through the blood of Jesus, and you're confessing those which is showing your heart is right. You're, you're, you're submitting to the Lord. You're looking for forgiveness. You're sorry for your sins. It's just that you don't know all, everyone, how far you have fallen short of the glory of God. And so the blood of Christ cleanses you from those sins you're confessing and all unrighteousness. Wow, down the line, the Lord is so gracious, so lovingly. See, all this is done in love. We're being built up, grown up in love. Down the line, what happens? Little by little, I go to this conference. Ooh, that speaker hit on something. Ah, I didn't realize I was that stubborn. Ooh, I didn't say, realize I was that cold toward other people. Ah, I didn't realize I was that selfish. I didn't realize I had all this pride. I re didn't realize I was so rebellious. 
I didn't realize I wasn't totally willing to submit everything to him, all my relationships. Oh, no, not my old car. Ah, not my girlfriend. You see? And then little by little, little by little, the Word of God brings this out. It, it, it shows you the areas you're not submitted to him. And uh, what's that called? That's called sin. Step by step, this is what happened. And this is the fivefold ministry. What are they doing? The, the uh, apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers, what are they doing? They're teaching you. They're e- helping you see from the word of God. They're, they're exhorting you. And so you can be strong and you can then turn around and do the works of the ministry. You're being trained. You're being built up. You're one of the ligaments. You're, you're, you're part of what's holding the body together. And, and when one of us is not doing well, it should drive us to prayer, really. Sometimes, unfortunately, we say, oh, somebody, oh, yeah, well, they're from that church. You could expect that out of somebody from that church. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh boy, there's some stuff wrong with the attitude right there, isn't there? No, 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 no. That's not where we, we go. That's where we really go wrong, and the Holy Spirit has to show. No, 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 we're one body, folks. And uh, if we have a problem with the, uh, an attitude toward people in this other church or this other situation, we need to come t- together, pray for that situation, support them in love. Not tell them off with the truth, but to tell them, speak the truth in love. And the end of verse uh, 16 again is that it builds us up in love. We want the body of Christ being held together by love not some artificial glue, not because we're forced together, not because somebody's threatened, but we want to be held together by the power of love. I wonder if during this, just this little mini message, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about something here that's not right between you and your pastor, or pastor, you're listening and things aren't right with another pastor, or you're in one choir and you're jealous of people in another choir. Uh, If you got problems like this, you know, you need to brisk bring this to God. These are the things that hinder revival. We say, oh, bring revival to Panama. Well, revival is going to come when we start loving one another and people see there's a change in our lives and things are happening that way. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'll help every person who is out there in radio land that you have shown something in their life that needs to get straightened out today, that they'll do it. And by your grace and by your love and that the blood of Jesus does cleanse us from all sin. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you.